Welcome back. It is now 9 a.m. on the nose on this Wednesday, the 25th of November, the day before Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to our listening audience. And welcome to Community Pulse, your locally produced program here on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. As a reminder of our production schedule, you can catch Community Pulse live Mondays and Wednesdays from 9 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. And all of the backdated episodes are then uploaded to our Facebook feed, also our website, kopn.org, kopn.org, and you can find them on Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. Quick station identification, you are listening to 89.5 FM, KOPN Columbia, mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, and music of the world. So pleased and proud to be so much more than radio. We are your listener-supported and volunteer-operated community radio station. And on the line, as always on Wednesdays, we have one of our incredibly hardworking volunteers. It is public health advocate Ginny Chadwick, who will be here solo today in a unique program to discuss a whole range of issues as COVID rates spike across the country, public policy issues that are associated therewith. Good morning, Ginny. How are you? Good morning, Peter. And, you know, as we now approach over eight months of doing this show on KOPN, I want to thank um, you guys for hosting it and having Dr. Alleman and myself on to talk to the local community about what's going on. Eight months, and I think we're all, you know, COVID fatigued, but now we see the virus raging more than it ever has. Indeed. Light at the end of the tunnel, but there's uh, quite the tunnel to get through first. Yeah, and I, I think that when we think the light at the end of the tunnel and we're hearing these really positive um, reports on the vaccine, you know, I was reading Dr. Fauci in the New York Times on Sunday who said, you know, by the time we have this vaccine mass distributed, we're looking at the the third or fourth quarter of 2021. So that's saying that we're going to be doing this or something similar or in resemblance of until a year from now, right? And I think that we see a light at the end of the tunnel thinking the vaccine is going to, um, you know, start start coming out. I think I read today that there's, they're hoping to get out 6 million doses of um, the Pfizer vaccine um, here in the upcoming weeks. But there's 328,000 Americans. Um, so 6 million is a or 328 million Americans, so 6 million is a, a drop in the percentage bucket. So very important that you bring that up. Everyone says, oh, I can't wait for 2020 to be over with, as if once the calendar changes, everything will go away. <laughs> That's very much not the case. <laughs> I mean, there are some positive um, developments in this vaccine and positive developments in treatment. Um, that is not my area of expertise, as we all know. Um, Dr. Allman does a fabulous job of bringing that data to you. So let's look at what's happening here in Boone County. So the health department reported that we had 100 new cases yesterday. And so we've gotten to this numb point where 100 cases a day seems like nothing. Um, and that we did have our 24th death yesterday um, of an individual in the 80-year-old age range. Um, effective. Um, this morning at midnight, the county commission um, did put in a mask mandate. So um, prior, and I think that sometimes we living in the Columbia bubble forget that the mask mandate didn't encompass the entire county. It only covered. So back in July, the city council, the Columbia City Council voted to adopt a mask mandate for the city limits. And so 
um, the county commission voted two to one. Um, you know, for a long time, Commissioner Dan Outwell said he was not going to support it. He even said it publicly in media as recently as two weeks ago. Um, but he did vote in support. And so um, it looks like Fred Perry being the descending vote, but it did pass two to one that there is a mass mandate for Boone County. So, Peter, I know I've talked ad nauseum about um, positivity rates, but I think that as I talk through today, it's going to be important to understand where we are. So statewide, we're at about a 20% positivity rate, meaning that um, one out of every five people who we test for COVID-19 turn up positive. And 27.3% was our positivity rate for Boone County last week. And the week before, it was 33.5%. Again, the World Health Organization says everything over 5% means broad community spread. So what does that mean for Boone County citizens, right? It means that it is out in the community in places we don't know where the virus is. And so we have to assume, and, you know, based on the data that has, was published in the New York Times, that if you're in the state of Missouri and you're in a group of 50 people, there will be a positive person. Um, so the thought that we have a high positivity rate, we don't know where the virus is. Um, so we often also talk about the data at CPS and what's going on within our Columbia Public School District. We're 100% remote right now. Um, we have 21 positive cases within our school district for our um, current students. And our um, we have a grand total right now of positive staff members being 132 staff members have been affected. Um, oh, I'm sorry. It's 21 positive staff members. Um, and then um, for the student tracker, we have um, 33 positive students currently active and a total of 200 positive students within Boone County. So um, I want to talk today about how those numbers are reflective of the population as a whole. Um, and in the state, our Matthew Holloway data, and I think that, you know, Matthew makes a statement here um, that many of us that have been watching this virus since the beginning, um, I think, feel in a humorous way. Uh, Matthew does a really great job of reporting the facts. But he said, you know, in yesterday's post, now it's time for everybody's favorite new hit reality game show that's sweeping the Midwest by storm, searching the news to find out what stupid things Missourians came up with today. Hmm. And it's unlike Matthew to, to really speak out, but so much right now that we are seeing in the news makes us think, how, why, in the middle of a pandemic? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so we had 5,484 reported identified cases yesterday in the state of Missouri. Um, so our current uh, daily average is now um, just shy of 5,000 cases per day. Um, we had 102 deaths in the state of Missouri yesterday identified so 4,000 total deaths in Missouri from COVID-19. And we're averaging, yesterday was quite high, we're averaging 55 deaths per day. Um, so as these new infection rates continue to soar, we are seeing new stay-at-home orders. 
So as we all recall, back in March and April, we saw lockdowns in states um, and local communities, and we're, we're seeing that again. So if we look at just specifically mask mandates, right? So 37 states have a mask mandate. We know that Missouri is not one of those states, but just this week, Iowa, Utah, North Dakota, and New Hampshire, um, you know, primarily Republican-controlled states, all put in new mask mandates. So we know that, you know, the governor of Missouri has said this is a local issue and a personal responsibility issue. Um, are the surrounding counties to Boone do not have a mask mandate in place. Um, and then we also saw this week new statewide um, restrictions put in place. So 17 states um, include implemented new restrictions, and those vary quite a bit across the country. But um, new stay-at-home orders in different forms were put in place in California, Colorado, Delaware, Hawaii, Illinois, Kansas, Kentucky. So, you know, states that are close to us, Kansas and Kentucky, um, put in Nebraska, all put in some form of new stay-at-home order. Um, and the U, uh, USA Today does a, has a really great article um, that came out on November the 13th um, on stay-at-home orders and tracking what's going on. And it was updated on November. It was updated yesterday, I should say. Um, so stating what's happening um, across the country on lockdowns. And then the New York Times has an interactive map on what is happening state by state as far as business openings, mask mandates, and stay-at-home orders. And we'll get some of these links posted on our Facebook page so people can see, you know, for the state of Missouri, we have businesses open, um, for, and for the most part, so, so we're a state that's mostly open in business. Um, we have no mask mandate. And interestingly, when you look across that mask mandate map and you think about where cases are surging, so you lay over the, the red states on risk of, of COVID infection, you know, with North Dakota and South Dakota now being um, the highest rates in the world. Um, if you look at North Dakota as an individual state, um, they have the, the highest positivity rate in cases per capita. But the, the swath across the middle of our country right now are the states that still have no mask mandate or only some requirements um, for mask wearing. So Idaho, um, Wyoming, South Dakota, Nebraska, um, Kansas, Missouri, Oklahoma, Arkansas, Tennessee, Mississippi. Those are the states that are missing a mask mandate when um, most of the other states in the country have one. If I may, um, I'd also like yeah. to point out something a little bit about data. Uh, those who open their uh, Monday New York or their morning New York Times to take a look at the map that is usually there in the infold of the, the first or second page of the section. And this is true of international media as well. People see a slightly different coloration. Um, that is because the statistics that are now being used to define a hotspot here in the United States have changed based on how the virus is raging. Throughout most of the spring and summer, a uh, hotspot might have been uh, described as something with more than a running seven-day average of 35 per 100,000 inhabitants. That slowly went up to 50, and now it stands at 100. So for those who do have COVID fatigue and are just maybe looking at these maps, um, whether it's in the New York Times, whether it's in 
uh, the Wall Street Journal, whether it's in uh, any of the major papers of record here in the United States, or indeed abroad, this is, this is the same case in my home country of Germany, it all of a sudden, the map looks a lot less scary. You know, and it, this happened right in the midst of these surging infection rates that you would take a look and there were all these red spots. And then one morning, all of a sudden, there were nothing but yellow spots. Uh, that is not because the virus has subsided in any way. That is, in fact, because we've redefined what a hotspot is from a public health perspective. <laughs> so um, something for those who are casually following this, as, as some people are, must do, uh, simply to keep their, their mental health in check that uh, virus rates are not subsiding when it comes to uh, uh, any sort of map that you look at. They are, in fact, exploding. And I think, Peter, that really speaks to lowering our standards. Um, there is rumor out there um, that's been um, published by a couple of national news medias that the CDC is considering changing their quarantine requirements down from 14 days to potentially um, seven or 10 days. And, you know, we know that the incubation period of the virus is up to 14 days, yet we also know that 97.5% of those who are going to become infected do within the first 12 days. But the rationale that's been published for consideration of why to reduce down to seven or 10 days was to get higher compliance rates. Indeed. So not, not because we think that that's how long it takes to spread the virus, or, but, and we know that it will, will protect less people by reducing the um, uh, quarantine time frame, but we think that maybe more people will comply if we tell them they only have to take a week off work rather than two weeks off work. Yes, there's also um, the um, category one patient concept that is being used for quarantine regulations around the world as well. A category one patient being defined as someone who has spent more to fi more than 15 minutes uh, in a large group of people, perhaps exposing 15 to 20 people to the virus. It's an interesting categorization that helps uh, reduce quarantine times, not based on any evidence that we found, uh, new evidence that we found in terms of how the virus incubates and spreads. <laughs> so that's important to point out as well. So, you know, but when we look at who's following the science, you know, Michigan put in new stay-at-home orders last week. Um, and, you know, the governor is under challenge. Definitely when we put in these new orders, politically, they are being challenged. But um, based on public health advice, um, you know, one is saying that Michigan might be following the most closely to what would be recommended for closures and openers. And that would be like what is not open um, what they did close in Michigan is they closed all high schools that are to in-person learning. They closed all theaters, um, movies and stadiums, um, arenas, bowling alleys, ice skating rinks. They closed all college and universities to in-person um, learning. They're recommending all workplaces be done from home if possible. Bingo halls, arcades, fitness classes are all closed. Bars and restaurants to indoor dining are all closed and all organized sports except professional sports. Um, so remaining still open, obviously healthcare, public transit, uh, manufacturing, childcare, preschool through grade eight, um, retail, um, anything that's in small groups gathering outside. Um, they're saying two household gatherings. So um, I was reading 
recently that um, a European country is now saying that they're hoping to loosen their restrictions by Christmas to allow for three family gathering, three families to be able to gather. But Michigan is reducing down to two um, family to gather. Um, they are leaving gyms open, but only for individual exercise. Um, and bars and restaurants may have outdoor dining, takeout, and delivery. And so a lot of what we're seeing in the news is that that's really following where we're seeing the virus um, be transmitted. And there's a lot of question about should we open or should we close public schools, right? Um, and it, it's a controversial thing. We there, There's a really great um, uh radio podcast in the uh, on NPR that are the risk of reopening schools exaggerated. And some of the information in that um, news story looks at tracking 191 different countries and seeing what is open and what's closed, and that schools that were open were not seeing um, measurable increases, that they very closely tracked what was happening or followed uh, what was happening in the local community. So if rates were going up in the local community, you would see rates going up in the school, but not that it was increasing rates within the community. And, you know, one of the quotes in that article, looking at what we are doing in the state in the states versus other countries, because other countries are collecting data and really understanding what's happening. Melinda um, Bunton from the uh, Department of Health Policy at, at Vanderbilt um, School of Medicine states that we're driving with the headlights off and we've got the kids in the car here in the United States. And I think that that is very much a quote um, that resonates with me on what we are doing. Um, There is a a new article in JAMA that came out that says low-income children are um, more impacted by um, remote learning and that um, the Center for um, Reinventing Public Education, so CRPE, um, has a really great database of um, hundreds of schools and looking at what they tracked over 100 school districts, mainly in large um, areas, but looking at over 10 million students and seeing what's open and what's closed and how that's impacting students. And in their database, you know, they and their um, fall um, 2020 uh, pa- presentation, they talk about the financial impact that is happening um, for these kids that are remote learning. So there is a new economic impact of the loss of learning report that was published in September of 2020 that's on their website that says that K-12 kids um, – are going to have a 3% lower income over their entire lifetime for those kids who are remote learning versus kids who are um, in person. And that doesn't hold true across all economic statuses. So we know that the lower income kids are going to be more severely impacted by um, the closures and the, the, the loss of earnings will impact lower income by 4%. Hispanics by 3%, Blacks by 3.3%, but whites will only be impacted by 1.6%. So there's a disparity there. Hmm. Yeah, of course, we will uh, post links uh, to that on our website. Uh, Jenny, you, you, uh, you often use the term COVID capital uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to uh, public policy. 
and, and things of this nature. And that we have a very limited amount of, of COVID capital in terms of, of what we can say and what we can recommend and, and how we can get uh, people to, well, take some basic steps uh, for the health of themselves around them and, and those uh, <clears throat> and the, um, themselves indeed. Um, what could we, what would be your priority in terms of, you know, if you were given a certain X amount of capital, say a couple minutes to say, what is the most important thing we can do now as these uh, <clears throat> rates are rising and they will continue to rise throughout the winter? There's there's really not, uh, uh, no stopping them. I mean, the data will, we know what the tra uh, what trajectory the data is going in. The virus is not going to disappear anytime soon. Uh what is the best thing that we can do as a community? And, and, you know, say you were speaking to a community member who is quite intransigent and uh, COVID fatigued <laughs> and is willing to listen to one piece of advice. What might that be? Yeah, you know, Peter, I, I do use the term COVID capital in this week. It was challenged on social media. They said we we don't have any COVID capital, and and that's right. We have no COVID capital left to use anywhere in Boone County, but. But there is COVID capital that we are using and we're deciding where to use it. You know, um, what Canada is doing is they are not closing at any schools. Like, so um, they have locked down um, bars, restaurants, pretty much anything. But, you know, what they said is we cannot put in-class learning at risk. It's what matters most. And I think that that quote by Ontario's Premier Doug Ford is what I would say is absolutely <laughs> resonating with me, right? That, you know, we allowed our bars and restaurants to stay open um, in America for the most part overall. Um, and that, you know, it says the U.S. is focused on keeping businesses open where Europe and most in Canada are focusing on prioritizing and opening schools. And so, if and when, I should say, when we go back to another shutdown, um, based on the data and what we know about the spread with the schools. And, you know, we're, we don't want to put anybody at risk. Like, we don't want to put teachers at risk. We definitely don't want to put our kids at risk. But if we were going to use our COVID capital anywhere, um, you know, I would encourage us to follow a European and Canada model and that the very first thing that we reopen should be um, the schools and that there should, I mean, should be the threshold for keeping the schools open while keeping everything else open. Perhaps I'll add as a European uh, to make our American listening audience feel a little bit better that um, Europe is a, is full of an absolutely just COVID fatigued and angry population as well. Um, it is not a utopia at all. Uh, there are protests. There are conspiracy theories. As we head into Thanksgiving, you may uh, think that having a difficult conversation with one of your family members who lives in a sort of alternate reality is an exclusively American phenomenon. I can assure you as somebody who is in contact with his relatives uh, across the pond in Germany, it is not. Um, <laughs> they are people just like Americans, and they uh, many of them are prone to conspiracy theories. Many of them are furious about the lockdown that they're going through now. Many of the parents uh, that I know in my family are dissatisfied uh, with the fact that their 
kids are going to school on a staggered schedule, uh, that there are no restaurants, bars, movie theaters, skating rinks for them to go to. And uh, speaking with uh, one relative the other day, who was furious about how her child was being taught that she could be potentially a carrier of a deadly disease. You think that's that's a little bit, that's something unfair to teach children. <laughs> so I, I assure uh, all of those who, who find such discussions very, very difficult uh, in the American context that it is no different elsewhere. Um, this is just something that is so very hard for a populace to go through, uh, so very hard for people to, to adjust to um, and to accept. And uh, so it is not... Um, it's not a political show, of course, but I thought I would chip in and uh, remind everyone that uh, it is by no means um, in Europe. We are not an educated utopia where people follow rules easily and believe uh, government officials and scientists with ease. It is unfortunately not the case. You can make the, the case that the public policy there is a little bit more scientific and, and uh, data-driven and things of that nature. You can always make that case. But when you're dealing with a populace that is, is well, has everyone has different priorities. Uh, for parents, uh, school openings may be uh, more important. For those who don't have kids and may be struggling with serious mental health issues, you know, viable entertainment options such as a movie theater that is allowed to operate at 10% capacity or something like that may be a little bit more important to them. So there are no easy solutions here. And uh, listeners, particularly American listeners, should not feel as if they're alone in a country that is uh, go, having renegade rogue problems. That would be my, <laughs> I would chip that in. <laughs> Not alone in that there are definitely contesting the shutdowns, but we are different in that we have kept most pubs, pubs I'm gonna, as I'm looking at a uh, <laughs> England uh, article. So, you know, in, in England, all the pubs and restaurants are, are, are closed, right, uh, for indoor gathering as and, they are in germany know, yes as they are in germany and um in france and you know as as we look you know so germany has their restaurants theaters gyms tattoo parlors and brothels which are legal in the country um close mm -hmm. um through november so um but schools were allowed to remain open based you know Yes, as I said, but it does not necessarily yeah. lead to a satisfied and obedient populace. <laughs> populace. <laughs> <laughs> no, it does not. So we are headed into um, an interesting weekend, right? So Pennsylvania has closed all booze sales for today because tonight is the busiest night of the year for alcohol sales. So throughout, you know, 20, you know, throughout the 365 days of the year, um, the night before Thanksgiving is typically the highest alcohol sale. So they are stopping alcohol sales at 5 p.m. tonight. And then we go into, you know, everybody is recommending do not gather with anybody outside of your household tomorrow. Um, it is going to be really hard for everybody not to see their family. And then we go into... And I'm going to hate to admit this, but it is one of my favorite things of the year, Black Friday. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Black Friday is going to look different this year. Uh, from what I read in, um, in news and by stores reporting, you know, we're not going to see that early opening on Thanksgiving night of stores. Um, the Columbia Mall is going to open on Friday um, from 7 p.m. to 9 uh, 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. Um, there will not be 
you know, the sales, for the most part, as I'm reading, have already started. So you're not going to get a different Black Friday deal on Black Friday than is already, you know, probably available right now in the stores. A lot of the major stores put the Black Friday items on sale prior to, um, you know, some have had it for the entire month of November. And then as we look at Small Business Saturday, you know, it's really important to keep our money local. Almost all of our downtown retailers allow curbside um, pickup so you can call and you know, let them know from the shop what you want, and they'll bring it to your car. Um, so I would definitely encourage that. And then Cyber Monday, and I am normally the last one to say shop online. Um, it takes local sales tax revenue away from the community, mm. um, right, because we don't have a use tax in Missouri. Um, and so online shopping often depletes our city resources. But this year, I am going to say that that is the safest way to purchase something. So uh, some floating around in social media. It looks like some maybe non-school organized, but Rockbridge High School students held a homecoming party with well over 50 kids in attendance and no masks in sight. The pictures are appearing on social media at one of the country clubs. And, you know, just a lot of question about we are at capacity at our hospitals. That is very true. We should emphasize that as well. Uh, according to the latest reports, we're looking at probably about four-fifths capacity in, in terms of ICUs here in Missouri. And one last thing, I mean, uh, the, the primary conspiracy theory that, or, you know, that needs to be debunked when I speak to my relatives in Europe, I, this is probably a question for Dr. Alleman, but... Um, there's a theory running around that the virus has already mutated into a far less deadly and far less lethal form. Do we have any evidence that that's the case? <laughs> well, Peter, that's the first time hearing about this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, perhaps you could, I mean, just... I have heard, I have read scientifically that it's more contagious than it was when we okay. started. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, perhaps we can... How many deaths um, were there across Missouri yesterday? Just just as a point of emphasis. Dr. Alleman has texted me that that is a debunked. That is false. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she said not at all. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Dr. Alleman. We really appreciate you coming in and chipping in a text. That is, um, I, uh, I can't wait to uh, argue with some of my relatives about that. Um, but at any rate. Thank you. Our time is now. No, it is. It is now up. Um, thank you very much, Jenny, for all of the hard work that you and Dr. Elizabeth Alleman do here on the community radio station. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning into Community Pulse as well. We want to remind you, uh, heading into this holiday weekend, that uh, please stay safe and please stay informed. Stay on top of the news as, as best you can. That's the that is the most important thing that you can do for yourself and for your family. If you missed any part of this program, it'll be up on our website, our Facebook feed, and Spotify and Apple Podcasts later. And we'll be looking forward uh, to speaking with you again on Monday with Dr. Elizabeth Alleman and Mallory Daly. Until then, have a great weekend. Happy Thanksgiving. Stay safe and stay informed, Columbia. We'll talk to you next week.